Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tribune Audio Network. It's that lack of transparency that sometimes gets people even more upset. Right. When people don't trust you and trust your response, every little thing is going to get scrutinized even more. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. We're investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On today's episode, a questionable history with harassment, the concerning patterns uncovered at a school district. And no reservation, the unique hotel policy that has guests being turned away. Hello, I'm Jenna Sachs here with Brian Polson. Hi, Jenna. And Amanda St. Hilaire. Hello. Touching students, sex with staff, public records show a history of harassment complaints in a Wisconsin school district and concerns about the school response. Amanda, you started looking through those records after the school district's cheerleading awards made national headlines. Yes. Coaches at Tremper High School in Kenosha Unified School District handed out awards to students about their body parts. So, for example, the Big Booby Award, the Big Booty Award, and String Bean Award. The ACLU got involved and sent a letter when parents complained the school district was brushing this off, saying it was just a joke, no one meant anything bad by it. The ACLU talked about a bigger cultural problem with harassment in the district, so we wanted to see if there was any evidence of that. So what did you find? We found several investigations, uh, and it's probably easiest to take them one by one. So in December 2017, there was an investigation into Tremper High School's track and cross-country teams. The coaches were cleared of harassment, but a letter from the law firm that did the investigation said there was a toxic environment and poor judgment. Female cross-country athletes were asked to weigh in after a rumor about an eating disorder, and a male coach said it was good to have a woman on the coaching staff because she could talk to the female athletes about their periods and girl things. Most importantly, the report said the district failed to follow its own policy because it did not do timely investigations into these issues. What poor judgment sounds like an understatement on some of these when you describe this. There were also some issues at Washington Middle School as well, if I understand right. There were a few. So in the summer of 2018, the principal, Curtis Tolfrey, was investigated for accusations he targeted vulnerable female subordinates and had inappropriate sexual relationships with them in the school building and then would use those relationships as leverage and to create a hostile work environment. The district did recommend a termination hearing, and he resigned before that could happen. Around the same time, the vice principal at that same middle school, Dr. Cassandra Brooks, she got a letter warning her about her habit of touching staff and students, including kissing a staff member on the lips and touching her in front of other people. So she gets warned on a Friday. That Monday, she's accused of more physical contact in the hallway. Dr. Brooks was suspended without pay and put on a last chance agreement. And that basically is a warning that further acts of misconduct will immediately lead to termination. 
But just a few months later, she admits to tapping a student's butt in a different incident. The student was uncomfortable, asked Dr. Brooks to stop, and reported what happened. Wow, that's a lot of concerning information. What did the school district do about it? Well, instead of following through on that previous warning that Dr. Brooks would be fired if this happened again, the district sent her a letter saying it would extend her last chance because she, quote, had no ill intent. Just I was making note of all of these things you're you're laying out. This all happened in one school district. And in Each one school district thing. in one year. In, in one year. And, and the, the, the one that obviously got the most attention was the cheerleading awards because um, it, it just – that went viral and people talked the big booby – yeah, big booby awards, mm-hmm. big booty awards, It was that a New York Times article. Um, so it, that became a big deal. But then within that same school – because you can take that in isolation and say, okay, it was poor judgment. It's one thing. Did the school district handle it well enough? But even in that case, the school district seemed to be, if I recall, kind of downplaying – the incident. And then when you hear there's this history of these other things, it sure raises that question, what's going on in Kenosha Unified Schools? And that's not even counting the other issue that the ACLU raised, which was at a different high school, a video that students watched about sexual assault. Um, the ACLU was concerned about victim blaming because at the end, the video of the students were asked, well, what could this woman have done to prevent her assault? So the idea is that all of this, according to the ACLU, is feeding into a culture that allows sexual harassment. And there are concerns about the effects that that could have on the staff and the students. So this leads to a much bigger question, which is, is this what we should expect from our school districts or should we expect something much different? So we talked to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Um, The spokesperson there, she was really direct with us about what's normal behavior and what's not. And they do a lot of examining of how institutions handle sexual harassment, discrimination, assault, workplace behavior. So there's the school district level, and then there's the work environment level. And the issue is when something is pervasive and repeated, that's when it can give you an indication that there's a bigger issue where people think they can get away with it. And what the spokesperson, Kristen Hauser, was saying when we talked to her was that if people feel like they can't get away with it in your workplace, they're not going to do it. Then again, if you have a healthy environment about reporting sexual harassment, you might see reports going up. It should be a red flag if you see no reports of anything happening ever because bad behavior is going to happen in any workplace, in any school district. And if you see no reports, it then means people don't feel comfortable reporting it. They don't think their concerns are going to be taken seriously. So it really is, we we have to look at anything um, with these situations through a really balanced lens. I get the idea of progressive discipline. You're not going to fire somebody for the first offense, especially if maybe it's a question of intent. You you tapped a, a, another student on the rear end and maybe it was meant as encouragement. It wasn't taken that way. This was a first offense. But in Dr. Brooks' case, you're talking about something where there was a history, there was a reputation First of all, that preceded her that she, you know, is physical with students, whether it's right. uh, intended to be sexual harassment or not. She'd been warned. She'd been given a last chance. Then she's given another last chance. At a certain point, you go, is the district really taking 
what's happening seriously. Yeah, it's not really a last chance if there's more than one. And that was one of the things that the National Sexual Violence Resource Center was saying. Once you say one more time and you're out, it needs to be one more time and you're out because then everyone else is going to see that as, okay, you really don't take this very seriously. The idea of progressive discipline is common, and I think most people find it reasonable. You know, someone makes one mistake, do they necessarily deserve to be fired? But you can't use progressive discipline on something that's especially egregious. There are certain things where, hey, you do it once, you're going to be gone. And in this case, there was progressive, quote, progressive discipline that didn't lead up to anything. And once you get to the point where you've been warned, you can argue the first time. Um, this is what Kristen Hauser was saying. You can argue the first time. I didn't mean it this way. I wasn't aware. I'm really sorry about how this was perceived. Even then, your intentions, they're not totally irrelevant, but they don't erase the impact that your actions had, especially when you're in such a position of authority. But you can understand that around the first time. Once you've been warned and it happens again, that's at that point where Kristen Hauser was saying your intentions are irrelevant because you've already been told this is bad behavior. And as in your judgment as an educator, you should know by now, especially in this day and age, that touching anyone anywhere on the butt is not going to be received well. What did the school district have to say when you approached them for comment for this story? So they declined our request for an on-camera interview. They sent us a pretty lengthy statement addressing each of the incidents. With Dr. Brooks, they said it's a personnel issue. There's not much they can say about that. With the cross-country and track issue, they did point to the fact that the coaches were cleared of harassment and that the issues were taken care of. We asked the school district specifically, what changes did you make after that report? It was a lengthy investigative report from an outside firm, and it recommended several different changes. Uh, for example, making a policy against... Um, coaches texting students and interacting with them in certain ways on social media. The school district stopped short of going into great detail about the changes they implemented. They said they uh, implemented all the changes to the extent practicable. Not really sure what that what means. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, and it seems to me that if you're try if if this is something where. There's a lot of bad publicity coming out about this, and the public's concerned. They're expressing concern. The ACLU's expressing concern. They could do themselves, I would think, some favors by saying, here are the concrete steps we're taking, but it sounds like they didn't want to lay that out for you. No, and so it's interesting because the district has taken, hasn't done any actual sit-down interviews about any of these issues, and there is... A balance of there is a legitimate argument to make with certain things that are personnel matters that should stay personnel matters. But when you're a school district and you're funded with public money and you're dealing with children, there is going to be a higher expectation of transparency than a different kind of workplace. So there is a, a balance with the public's right to know and then the individual's right to privacy. There are certainly issues of public policy that come into exactly. play. Exactly. Now, the district 
did make some changes regarding awards after the cheerleading awards got a lot of scandal, I guess, um, a, a lot of a lot of coverage. But we spoke to staff members in Kenosha Unified School District on background about this, and they said they felt like those changes kind of missed the point. So now if you want to issue awards, you have to submit the exact names of the awards and what they're for and get approval from administrators in advance. And okay, that solves the problem of having awards with inappropriate names. It doesn't really get to the root issue of do you have a culture where people feel it is acceptable to speak this way, act this way, touch this way when it comes to other people's bodies, other people's gender, other people's sexuality. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the parents whose kids go to this school. Obviously, there's a lot of concerning information that you've laid out here. What should they take away from it? Should they take away that something was done and maybe that's enough? I think that this story started because parents were frustrated and parents eventually went to the ACLU because they were going to the district. They did not feel like they were getting heard or taken seriously. I hope that from here on out that parents do feel as though they're taken seriously when they raise these issues. There's also a a tough administrative aspect of it because you're dealing with a lot of parents who sometimes in the same situation, feel very strongly about wanting very conflicting things. There were parents of cheerleaders after this uh, This All Made the News who called us and said these awards weren't a big deal and they were upset about the coverage. And they were almost as upset as the parents who were offended by the awards. So when you're working in a school district, sometimes you are in a lose-lose situation. But I think information is key. And if you're a parent, being able to know, okay, what's the history here? How is the school district responding? Do I feel as though they're acting swiftly, whether it's their own staff or with other students? That's going to tell you a lot because no parent wants their child to be in a compromising situation. One of the things that um, Kristen Hauser said when we interviewed her that really stuck with me was that when you, you can have an attitude that's basically showing It's okay for students who are learning, right? This is part of what they're learning, and they're taking their cues from adults about how to treat each other. So it can show the students that it's okay to treat your peers in disrespectful ways or tokenize them or sexualize them, and it teaches the girls that you're supposed to tolerate it when you don't follow through, and that's a powerful message. What you said about some parents were concerned that this wasn't that big of a deal, it's being blown out of proportion, why is it getting all this coverage? And I, I can understand that's a sentiment that's out there, but when there are enough parents complaining that this is offensive, this is wrong, one set of parents may think it's no big deal, but if there's enough people saying it is, I just don't know how you justify talking, having awards for the size of someone's breasts in a school environment. It seems, uh, and I think that's probably why it became such a national story. Right. Well, and part of the reason it became a national story, it became a national story months after it happened. So this happened March 2018, and it only became a national story almost a year later, but it was because the parents had been going to the school and 
didn't understand why they felt like the coaches weren't disciplined appropriately. It was really the school's response that elevated this to the national stage. I don't know that it would have received national attention or that anyone would have ever contacted a reporter in the first place had the school swiftly said, hey, this is unacceptable. Here's what we're doing to make sure it will never happen again. I can't speak to whether they should have fired the coaches. The weird thing was that with one of the coaches, they said, okay, she's not coming back, but then she did. So there were a lot of things there that just kind of simmered for a really long time. Well, and let's not forget, this is the same school district we did another investigation on that dealt with questionable um, uh, use of money that was raised for a private club to support the high school football team, Bradford High School. And it's another situation where whether or not something inappropriate was done with that money, the school district's response was to decline an interview. We had a, a pretty interesting video of the superintendent in that case actually bragging and laughing to someone on the football field about how she dodged my interview. It's that lack of transparency that sometimes gets people even more upset. Right. When people don't trust you and trust your response, every little thing is going to get scrutinized even more, and you're not going to get that benefit of the doubt. Whereas if you've built that trust, if people see that pattern of responding to things in a way they feel is appropriate, not only are they going to feel more comfortable reporting things to you, and this is with sexual harassment or anything else, but you are more likely to get that benefit of the doubt. And one reason we as journalists always like to have people do on-camera interviews is because it's a way of demonstrating how seriously you're taking it. It goes a long way saying, I'm willing to sit here and tell you myself that we're taking it seriously. And that's something we try to convey to people. And sometimes they don't want to do that interview anyway. But it goes a long way if you're willing to sit in front of the camera and reassure parents that you're doing something about it. And answer actual questions. I've always felt that, number one, that's how we actually get a lot of the information people will almost invariably claim we didn't put into a story, that's where you get it is in the interview. We ask questions, you give us information. But it also, I, I, I don't know that I've run into almost any situation, certainly not very many, where someone who was the subject of a story that may have been controversial sat down and did an interview and came off worse. I think you almost always come off better by giving your side, telling, you know, if, if you're doing something about a problem, if you're taking it seriously, say that and, and give some context. But uh, a very interesting investigation. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting as it unfolds in, in the era where we're more conscientious of Me Too and sexual harassment and um, we're noticing how these things play out in institutions and in schools. It's that interesting intersection of affecting youth and how kids are learning about this because it it is something they're learning about whether we realize we're teaching them or not and then as a workplace issue too when it comes to the teachers who are there. Well, if you have a story you'd like us to investigate, look deeper into, we want to hear from you. Send an email to theinvestigators at fox6now.com. So this story, two families turned away by Milwaukee hotels and a bizarre reason, they lived too close. It's something referred to as the 30-mile policy. And Jenna, the hotel group told you they had a 
pretty good reason from their viewpoint of implementing it. They did. The hotel group responsible said before this, their hotels had problems with local guests coming in and misusing and even vandalizing their hotels. Sometimes even police had to be called. But of course, the people who came to you who'd had their reservation turned down, they felt there was a little more to it than that. They did. You know, they were very offended in those situations and they questioned whether they were experiencing discrimination. Um, Among those guests was a black family from Milwaukee that booked a hotel room at a Holiday Inn near the airport for their daughter's Sweet 16 party. And when they showed up, they were being turned away. Just picture a bunch of teenage girls showing up with their overnight bags. There's an ice cream cake there that's melting. There's bags full of snacks and a mother crying at the front desk. It was a disaster. I was more so offended because this particular area called there are a lot of African-Americans in and I was kind of like, is this, I didn't know where to go at that moment. Is this a racial type thing? Is this, I, I didn't, or is this, you know, just, I, I didn't know what to think. So Jenna, we know this policy exists, but could the whole thing have been avoided if the policy had been communicated a little more clearly? I think that's a really important part of it. It would appear so. Luckily, though, in this situation, the family was able to book rooms at a hotel nearby, uh, but the party started three hours late. Uh, The girl whose birthday it was, the 16-year-old, was waiting at school for her mom to pick her up for hours. She was so excited for her birthday party, and it was just kind of a downer for everybody there because they went into the night feeling like they had been discriminated against. I'm just, I guess, struck by the policy to begin with. It's this 30-mile... So if I understand it correctly, they're saying they would not rent hotel rooms to... Well, I don't know if rent is that the right word, renting a hotel room. Never really they thought about book, that. Like, they would not like, book hotel rooms uh, for guests who lived within a 30-mile radius of the hotel. And they're saying because people who live closer tend to just have more troublesome parties and things like that. I was actually told this was in response to a pretty big issue they were having at some of these hotels um, near the airport. Um, They described guests sneaking in friends and family members into their rooms to the point where they became overcrowded, sneaking people into the pool area, making a lot of noise in the hallways at night, disrupting other guests. Um, They were getting complaints from guests. They needed extra security. They described police intervention at a few times. And when they looked into it further, the hotel group says they discovered that the vast majority of these issues were initiated by guests who lived within 30 miles of the hotel, and that's the reason they created their policy. So if I live 31 miles from the hotel, I'm fine? You should be okay. Uh, I guess I'm just wondering, is this this unique? Is this common to other hotels? Well, I was told by the hotel group, who was not too happy we were doing this story, because they said other hotels have similar policies. Um, But they said the reason they had it was they really wanted to focus on the overnight guests who were business travelers or out-of-town guests because they felt like they would cut down on people who were misusing their property. I guess I'm just wondering why people within the 30 miles would be more likely to misuse the property. Like people can come in from out of town and misuse your property. People can come in from out of town and have pack more people in a room than they're supposed to and but be it noisy. Is, it is easier to call up your friends and say, hey, I've got a sure. room at the Holiday Inn and the business traveler who's by themselves is going to be pretty quiet, wants the hotel to be quiet, is going to have a big problem if they can't sleep at night because there's teenagers running up and down the hallway, um, there's loud music, there's vandalism, uh, there's a lot of mess in the, the food area and the breakfast area. So you can understand where the hotel is coming from, but at the same time, put yourself in the shoes of some of these other people and it's, it's hard not to feel 
um, what, what they were feeling. And I will say that we interviewed a second family for this story, um, and this was a white family, so we can show that this was being applied to people of different racial backgrounds. And they were in Racine, and they wanted a staycation for their grandkids, and this hotel had a splash pad. Um, the woman made the reservation through a third-party website and then got a phone call from the hotel saying, I'm sorry, you live within 30 miles. We have to cancel your reservation. And they said to her, you know, if you had booked through our own website instead of this third party, we wouldn't have accepted your reservation. And she said, well, I'm going to try that. So she went on the website and booked a room and she got one. And so she showed up that day and standing there with the grandkids was told she was being turned away and they found her a room across the, you know, across the street at another hotel with a pool. So that does show that it was being applied um, indiscriminately, uh, but when it comes to race, when, when it, it comes, comes to race, well, and, and the, so the question becomes, and I think the question was raised there: the the, the zip codes this applies to, if they're predominantly African American uh, residents, is it being applied? Is it still being applied? Yes, there's a thirty mile radius, so it's thirty and below, no reservation; thirty and above, yes. But is it having a disproportionate impact? It certainly is. I mean, if you think about the Milwaukee area down to Racine, you know, a 30-mile radius around this specific area covers a lot of minority neighborhoods. So it does seem to disproportionately affect minorities who live close to those hotels to begin with. And these reservations are going through, so they're showing up and finding out there's a problem, which really makes the situation that much more upsetting and dramatic. I guess the big question is, is is a policy like this, even if it makes sense to the hotel— is it legal? Well, it doesn't violate any of Wisconsin's accommodations laws. I reached out to this Wisconsin Lodging Association, and they said that the hotels have the right to create policies that protect their guests and their staff from violence and disruption. So they completely supported them. So it doesn't seem like they were violating any laws. I just wonder what if it had been a with it. I mean, Does the 30 miles matter? What if it was within two miles? What if it was within 100 miles? Does that matter, or is it just that it's applied uniformly? This seems to be uh, the result of what their research showed them from what they told me. They discovered that most of those people lived within 30 miles, um, the people who were causing issues, so they they decided that was how they were going to apply it. I don't know. They didn't sit down and do an interview with me, um, as we talked about before. You don't get answers that would be helpful. Right, and I feel like they maybe could have explained their position better if they had been willing to go on camera, but they sent me a statement, and I I pulled pieces from it that I felt conveyed their opinion. Their statement sounded a little snarky. Well, I think they they didn't see why I was doing the story, if I'm interpreting how they felt about it. They felt like hotels have policies like this, and we were having issues, and this is how we chose to address it, and now we don't have as many of those issues. With that being the argument, though, if it's just a matter of hotels have the right to protect their guests and their property when they see an issue, and their research says this is the cause, what, for instance, if they're research had said, this one public housing project is the cause. Could they ban people from that one public housing project? So that's where I'm focused on the the 30-mile radius. They picked 30-mile radius because they say that's what their research showed. Where are the lines on how far a hotel can go to say who we will and will not uh, give rooms to? And there are a lot of people within those 30 miles who are going to use that hotel for very legitimate reasons. I mean, the mother who just wanted to take 
the grandkids to the splash pad and the, the woman who booked it for her daughter's birthday party. I mean, these are special events. You want to be able to do something special for your family. You know, a weekend at a hotel is a fun thing to do and not everyone's going to misuse it. So it's very unfortunate for these people who go to the hotels, especially when they booked a reservation. So I think it's clear that there's some issues in the implementation of this policy in communication for sure. Well, and you wonder what it's like as a business practice too. I mean, I have friends who have kids where legitimately one of my friends, her birthday present every year for the last few years has been her husband buys her a night by herself at a local hotel room so she can sleep and be alone and do whatever she wants to do. And it's the only thing she looks forward to. They're local. You know, there are people locally who will want to use your hotel in a quiet and respectful manner for a variety of reasons. And you're losing out on that business because there are going to be seasons where you're not going to be booked up and that could be money that you're making. My guess is if they've done that research, they've seen that, well, especially near the airport, our bread and butter is these air travelers coming in from elsewhere. We don't need to get bogged down with some of these local bookings. They're smaller in terms of number. And if they're causing us a disproportionate number of the problems, let's just leave that out and focus on the business traveler. But that's an interesting legal question you had, Brian. How much are they allowed to zero in on that problem? And at what point does it become that bigger legal issue. Well, I mean, it's very clear. I think I don't think there's any argument here. It would be very clear if they were to have said, well, we've zeroed in our research and said that it's black guests that are the problem, so well, we can't yeah. let them stay here. Well, that would not be legal. But there are ways... So way, where there do are, they... Where does the, the line get drawn? Well, instead, we'll just say it's a 30-mile radius. As, as history has shown us, there are ways to have that same effect, but word it differently. And I think that's what some of the people you interviewed were that's trying to get across. That's what they felt was going on. That is, that's what they felt. And the people we spoke with, especially um, the family with the Sweet 16 party, the woman was standing there wondering, what's going on? Am I being the victim of discrimination? She didn't want to believe it. She just knows how she felt in that moment, and she felt terrible. And it's not like they had this policy plastered all over everywhere you could see it. You know, it's... On their website, and I was told, you know, you can find it if you go to the policies section of the website and it's under the at a glance section or (laughs) find the small print or additional details or extra charge section. You know, people don't look at that when they're booking a hotel room. You know, maybe we're supposed to. It might prevent some of these problems from happening. But if it's not right there when you're booking the hotel room, I don't think people are going to read what the policies are. And so many people use third-party sites that wouldn't have that anyway. Well, and you think a mother... Uh, her 16-year-old daughter. That's a big occasion. 16th birthday. You want to be this great experience. The experience is ruined. And then as she's going through that mental processing, wait a minute, is my daughter's experience being ruined because this is discrimination? I can see that would be a very emotional thing Mm -hmm. and a concern. Maybe the hotel really just has this legitimate concern over its property and, and its guests, but the impact on this family was certainly one that was was real difficult. I know it was hard to get answers on this one, Jenna, but what did your intuition tell you? I think there are two compelling sides here. I think that what the families experienced, the emotions that they felt, I feel like that was legitimate. Um, and I feel like perhaps this policy is a way of rewording some more uncomfortable subjects or realities of trying to keep out different groups of people. But on the other side, I do feel like these hotels had some issues. And if they have people who are disrupting 
others who are sleeping at night, who are making a mess, I think that's a compelling argument, too. They're allowed to try to do something to try to address the issue. So this is one of those where I could really see compelling arguments made either way. And we really tried to show both sides in this story and to represent both sides fairly. Um, We would have loved to have someone from the hotel group on camera, but it just, it didn't happen. Um, If you have a story idea for Contact 6, let us know. You can just fill out a form on fox6now.com. So that's the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question. It's a weekly segment where we answer questions we get asked at parties or different events. And we have no idea what the question is, as has been demonstrated in some of these. And we think, (laughs) what am I going to say about that? So we have several envelopes on the table in front of us, and we're going to pick one at random, and it's Jenna's turn. Yes. Jenna. Picked one right on the end. Okay. How do you balance privacy, yours and your family's, with social media? Hmm. I, I'll, I'll go first because actually my answer is probably non-controversial. I, I, I don't maybe sometimes take as much care to be private with some of the things that I probably should and, um, because I've always been very open and transparent just in general. And maybe I'm a little too trusting in some ways because we live and work now in an environment, especially social media, where there's so much more animosity. And, uh, and how much of your and your own uh, your own and your family's personal information you put out there maybe subjects yourself or them to risk. I think I've been, um, what's the right word? I'll say privileged in that as a man, I don't feel quite the same fear sometimes as I think a lot of my female counterparts, Jenna and Amanda and others, mm-hmm. especially in dealing with social media, um, whether it's, uh, you know, viewers who are uh, potentially, you know, frightening, uncomfortable, creepy, things like that. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and my children are getting older where more of their stuff, they're putting their own things out there on social media. You have very young children. This is, this is new. Um, you, yours is so young that it's not quite here yet, but, (laughs) um, but so, I mean, I, I guess maybe you have considerations I haven't had. Well, I've had to consider a lot lately because I have a three year old daughter and I have 11 month old twins. Um, and I try not to post about them too often on social media, even though you get great numbers when you do. Um, just because and they're adorable. Well, thank you, thank you. But I. What are their social security numbers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I, I, there are some people who are comfortable posting pictures of their kids every day, and I'm just not one of them. I might do it on a special occasion, like when the kids are born. I show a picture. When they're babies, I'm not as worried about showing they all pictures. Look the same. They're you know, they're cute little blobs. They're not going to look like that forever. They're cute little you know, blobs. When they're 15, <laughs> they're not going to look like that. You know, it, Hopefully. it's not as much of an issue. Um, but, <laughs> I, you know, my, my my mom was a little unhappy with some posts I was making. You know, she, she, she wasn't unhappy. She questioned, you know, are you sure about She's that? Concerned. Yeah, and, you know, I've gone to lengths to make sure that, you know, my address isn't out there. You know, it's it's not, not easy to find my address if you look me up. Just extra steps of security because especially with some of the stories we're doing, we do get threatened. I mean, people have, have threatened, made threats against us before. Maybe not saying we're going to come to your house, but they've said things like, I, I want to ruin you. You know, I, 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 I'm, I feel like this is unfair. You know, someone should do something about this. And I don't want them 
knowing what my kids look like and I don't want them coming to my house or knowing where my kids daycare is or what school they go to. So there's certain information that I don't want to put out there. And then there's other people at the station who are completely comfortable posting everything. But I try to only do it on maybe a special occasion, like their, the twins' first birthday, maybe I'll post something. What do you think, Amanda? How do you think you'll handle it? It's something my husband and I have been talking about a lot lately, especially um, we saw a new segment recently about how most children already have a, quote, digital footprint by the time they turn four. And they haven't really had a say in all that, right? And so from a their safety standpoint, it's something I want to think about from a respecting whatever their own future privacy concerns may be, I want to think about it. And then, you know, of course, there's my own safety because sometimes through this job and through social media, people feel like they know you. So even if they're not necessarily wishing you harm, you can get into some weird stalker situations or strange things where, where people know a lot about your movements. But yeah, I mean, with this baby on the way... Um, it's it's interesting thinking because my, my husband's basically not on social media. He has a Facebook account. I think he checks it once every two years, which is convenient for me because I can post whatever I want about him and he'll never see it. Um, but he for him, it's just kind of a non-issue. But with this job, especially because part of it is sharing some of the personal too on online, on social media, it's how do you balance that? So our daughter, um, we've, we've already picked out a name. It's a family name. that's going to be kind of unique. Do I even want to put her first name out there? Her last name will be different than mine, but you know, that's something I'm weighing. Do I want to put pictures of her on I there? I think naming a daughter Ed Murrow is a little weird. <laughs> Ed but... Murrow, yes. Her name will be Edward, Edward R. Murrow. <laughs> but uh, no, Murrow could be her first name. There we go. We got it. That's we, cute. Yeah, I like Murrow. We'll see how your husband feels. About yeah, that. we're gonna name um, him Murrow. It's like, hey, this name we've decided for the last seven months. I'm gonna change it right now. Um, so we're still kind of discussing that and how we want to handle that. Because even typically in the news, you know, someone on air has a baby and we'll run a picture and say the baby's name. And like you said, Jenna, they're little blobs. No one knows what they look like. But even just someone's name being out there can be something that stays with them. And maybe that's me being overly paranoid. I don't know. Part of the issue in this business is we also know the worst case scenario that can happen for everything. It makes us, tend to think, makes us yeah. very nervous parents, especially when I did general assignment reporting for so long. I just saw so many terrible things happen, and you just become the most paranoid parent. Uh, paranoid. Did I say that? You become the most paranoid parent because you just think of all the possible outcomes. And other people would say, well, I've never known anybody that's happened to. And I could say, I've known like 30 people that's right. happened to. Yeah. No, it that seems very real to me. That is the exact debate my husband and I have sometimes. So... You know, it's it's balancing. You still need to be able to live your life, and you want to share those things. And in in a sense, it is part of the job, but in a sense, it isn't. And it's a it's a really tricky balance. I feel like we live though in this day and age where it's almost impossible. Maybe it's not impossible, but it's tough to keep 
your digital footprint to a point where someone couldn't find you with just a little bit of effort. Oh. And I say that for this reason, and, and thankfully it, it doesn't apply now because I, I've, I've moved to another place, but you, you you could take all this care to not have certain information out there, then you get one traffic ticket and it goes on CCAP, and well, there's your address. Yeah. If, and it's so, you know, and, and that happened to me a few years ago, um, and, and now that information's outdated, but there are so many other places now where that information is out there on all of us. If someone wants to find your address, they're going to find your address. And I'm not going to give a list of ways they could hear because I don't want to give anyone ideas. But we but, know them. But as investigative them. reporters, we use them frequently. It's pretty easy. And it's interesting you mentioned the traffic ticket. That would be my first thought. If I got a speeding ticket, I would think, oh my gosh, now my address is going to be on CCAP. Have you yeah, ever gotten a speeding ticket? I can't picture oh, you getting a of ticket. Of course I have. I was a terrible driver in high school. I could tell. <laughs> I could talk revelation. about that for thirty minutes. But you know that that would be my first, and that's not a normal. That's not a normal thought. Like, oh no, now my now my, my address, address is in public records. Yeah. yeah, but it's. I mean, it's something we all have to think about. Thanks for listening to Open Record. You hear us every week, but there are other people helping to make all of this come together. A quick thanks to producer Pete, our editor Dave Machuda, and executive producer Leanne Watson. If you want more Open Record, you can just head to our website, fox6now.com. Tribune Audio Network.